are listening to the very first episode of the Midwest Football Podcast, your home for NFL coverage with a side of fantasy football on all your favorite Midwestern teams. This is Joe Smith. I'm Detroit-born, Buckeye by choice, and I'm in the heart of the Great Lakes State to deliver a thinking person's podcast. Yeah, when I went down to Ohio State, I stayed a while. I was in central Ohio for a, a while, meeting Bengals fans, meeting Steelers fans. I lived in northeast Ohio, where I was in the heart of Browns Nation. I actually went down to Florida for a while, and believe me, you get Midwestern transports all the way up and down that state. There's as much coverage of the Bears and the Lions as there is the Patriots or even the Florida teams when you get down away from the big cities. But enough about me. I want to introduce you to my partner, a great mind from the Midwest. Here is Brian Rosenquist. Good afternoon, people of Earth. And this is um, Brian Rosenquist. I'm the co-host. And uh, I'm a Chicago and born and raised lifelong Bears fan, even through the dark ages between Ditka and Lovey Smith, where we could never beat the Packers. It was brutal. But uh, like Joe, I have a lot of experience in the Midwest. I went to Ohio State, which is where we met, and uh, or should I say, the Ohio State. And um, my mom's side of the family is Pittsburgh and Cleveland fans, and my dad's side of the family is all uh, Packers and Bears. So I'm very familiar with the rivals in the Midwest, as well as the Ohio State-Michigan rivalry too in college. And uh, like Joe, I've spent some time in Florida. We weren't there at the same time, but I've also been to uh, Seattle and uh, South Carolina for many years. So I've met a lot of Panthers fans and Seahawks fans, but we don't need to talk about them because this is the Midwest. And uh, even though I'm coming to you from uh, San Antonio today. Every week we'll be posting uh, coverage of the Bears, the Lions, the Browns, Bengals, Steelers, Colts, Packers, and Vikings. We also have, in addition to the sort of analytical coverage that we're going to be trying to bring you, we have over 45 years of combined fantasy football experience between us that we can use to help you improve your team. Over the years, though, we've both found out that the best way to have success at fantasy football is to understand actual football. So that's why the bulk of this podcast is to help everyone, including ourselves, do just that analyze, understand, and maybe predict what's going to happen in the realm of the NFL football, especially with our favorite Midwestern teams. But before we get to our first episode, though, we want to thank Raymond for our intro and outro music. Uh, That is the artist's name, Raymond. He consented to let us use his song and uh, make us sound more professional. The song we use, the the track name is Running Home from his debut album, Call to Me. And that album and that song is available on Spotify, iTunes, Apple Music, and wherever digital music is sold. Please look for it. He does a lot of hard work and he's a fantastic piano player. We also want to thank Chris Brandley. He did all the graphic design work on our logos and we really think he did a fantastic job. You might think it doesn't seem like much to do a little square image, but when you figure out how many different socials and images a good podcast needs, he's really put in a lot of work to help us get started on the right foot. So thank you, Bradley. Both both of them, Bradley and Raymond, have done a lot to make us sound a whole lot more professional than we otherwise would. All right. uh, so 
Brian, do you have anything else you want to add before we jump right into our coverage here? I would like to add one thing. People listening to this might think this sounds like an NFC North and an AFC North podcast. Where are the Ravens? Well, tough, tough break. They sold out to Cleveland and uh, they left the region. So uh, they get replaced by uh, the uh, old Colts or the new Colts. Sorry, that used to be Baltimore. Tough break, Baltimore. Yeah, that's right. We do the real Browns and the real Colts. So sorry about that, Baltimore. We love you, especially the family that I have down there. But um, yeah, not in this podcast, at least not uh, for the foreseeable future. So that being said, I have a lot of <laughs> friends of the commanders. They'll be happy that I omit the Ravens, but we will still talk about you from time to time. All right, then. Uh, so let's dive right in. Today, we're going to mostly be talking about the uh free agency season that was and how every team set themselves up for the draft. The actual draft coverage will be in our next couple podcasts, but uh, there were a lot of Midwestern teams that made some big waves, some big news, and a couple of them that have some big stories that uh, dominated much more than the actual signings that they made this season. Let's start with your Chicago Bears, Brian, your hometown team. Chicago entered the offseason with the most cap space in the league, and they really did a lot with it. Brian? So I like what the Bears did as a whole, um, not just to uh, put the cart for the horse, but uh, they had a lot of work to do. They had the most holes, and they had to use all that cap space to fill them. Um, by my count, they had, if you include the trades for DJ Moore, 11 pickups, which is four more than any other team in the Midwest, which was seven or five by Detroit, Indianapolis, and Cleveland. And they, they needed it. Um, what I like what Poles did was he added a lot of adults in the room uh, at the defensive line, Nate Davis on the offensive line. Uh, they're not all world breakers, but he didn't break the budget for them. TJ Edwards, awesome pickup. Um, the one big note was um Tremont Edmund Edmonds Tremaine Edmonds sorry and he broke the bank and I know that was a controversial uh acquisition especially given what happened with Roquan Smith in the offseason where uh, in the middle of the season sorry where we traded him for a second round pick instead of paying him um I personally like it we got a second round pick and we're paying him less than two million and he wants to be here Roquan was a little uh disgruntled maybe rightfully so but he's happy, we're happy, and we can move on. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting strategy where you're moving on from a key player as you're trying to what looks like a rebuild and maybe turn the corner. Um, I do have to say that um, I really liked the, the linebacker signings, considering that uh, the Lions, and I don't want to bring them up too quickly here, but they signed Anzalone to a three-year deal for six million a year and for one million more they could have had maybe the best off ball linebacker in the class and one of the best defensive players available talking about tj edwards that the bear signed i i agree i love that pickup and it's also a weak linebacker class for the uh draft so i think it's good that the bears filled those holes because now the bears have pretty much addressed everything but we have the worst off defensive line in football by pressure rate. And I think we're in a position to throw a lot of draft capital at them. And there's a lot of good pass rushing depth, in my opinion, of this year's draft. Well, I would say that, yeah, because I was doing some research for our upcoming draft episodes. And one of the things that really struck me is how many quality edge rushers there were in 
not necessarily at the top of the draft where it's a little bit scarce, but in the first, say, 60 picks, there's probably 30 defensive linemen or uh, blitzing three, four linebackers that uh, could be impactful on an NFL team. Now we know from from history that they won't all be, but uh, there's certainly plenty of guys that people can take swings on. And that's what I like about the position the Bears have put them in is uh, probably address tackle with the first pick and the ninth, probably Skaronsky or Paris Johnson. But then we have three more picks in the top 64 picks that could easily be thrown at the defensive line and get add some good depth. Or we go with a defensive lineman in the first pick. Although I think that the first round to the third round, I don't see a huge difference. But either way, we're also in a good position to trade back. And again, if Poles wants to, instead of nine, you can get that. There's some uh, other tackles that are available too. And um, the other thing I liked about the Bears did was they addressed the off the running back situation on a budget. I mean, obviously we have Khalil Herbert, which looked really good last couple of years anybody who had in fantasy loved the value they got from him deandre foreman got him on a one or one year two or three million dollar contract which is really good deal for a two down thumper that produced for carolina and then even travis homer little nice little third down back and then we haven't even talked about the elephant in the room dj moore was basically a throw-in on uh going from one to nine and that makes the bears offense uh, look a lot better especially when you throw in Claypool as possibly the third receiver now. Well, I don't know how much of a throw in DJ Moore was. It wouldn't surprise me if the bears really made him one of the linchpins of the trade. Um, especially if you consider the Carolina is going to be basically starting over. Uh, it gives, and it's huge because it gives, uh, it gives the bears that legit number one, they, can move Mooney to number two. They're starting to build an actual core and they've that like they've rarely had in the last couple decades. Yeah. And the word on the street is that Carolina wanted to offer the bears a third first round pick. I think it was in 2025 and the bears said, no, we want DJ Moore." And I think if that was a true, I think I give polls a lot of credit because we needed that. Number one, it is not a great draft or, um, uh, um, free agency class with Jacoby Myers and Juju Smith-Schuster as the top free agents. And Ellen Lazard got $44 million. I mean, I'm not super excited about him, um, unless you're trying to lure Aaron Rodgers, but that's for another segment. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, um, and then the other thing, too, is like I think it helps the Claypool trade because is that's very ripped, especially when they end up being the 32 pick, which is essentially a first-round pick now that the Dolphins have forfeited their first round. And Claypool didn't produce last year, but he also came in late with a hamstring injury and then Mooney got hurt. And I think he's basically full, full season, the off season. And I think he's going to be more willing to be the number three receiver than he was in Pittsburgh, where he used to be a stud when he was a rookie and had 10 touchdowns and they pull him pickings and bumped him down. It felt like a demotion for him. Now he's starting fresh and whether he's fighting Mooney for the number two spot or not, I think he's just happier to be there. All right. Uh, my own hometown team, the Detroit Lions, also made plenty of news in free agency. Uh, the Detroit Lions added a lot of talent without breaking the bank on any one player. Have they turned the secondary, the team's biggest weakness, into a strength? 
Yes, to the point where they dumped uh, Okuda for peanuts today. Happy breaking news. What's your take on that? I've been meaning to ask you that all day. Uh, appa- I, well, one of one of two things happened here. Um, either they've got some big plan that's going to require a bunch of money that they needed right now, and they weren't too thrilled with Okuda, or they just decided they were done with Okuda and they were going to trade him for a bag of weed and feed. One of the two things happened. Um, I'm a little bit sad be- for that because I feel like he never really got off the ground with his injuries. The people like to forget, yes, he was hurt last year and he was in most games the year, you know, this past year, but it was also his year removed from an Achilles tendon tear, which is always a major downgrade for a player. And let's not forget that even before he got hurt, he was Matt Patricia as a rookie, and that did nobody any favors. Every defensive back in Detroit that year had their worst career season. Yeah, Patricia infamously played way too much man-to-man. So you're throwing this rookie in man-to-man against most of the league's best receivers right off the bat. Of course it was ugly. I'm not saying he's ever going to be worthy of the third overall overall pick because – look at the front office that drafted him. Uh, I do wish they could have gotten more than a fifth, which is kind of like trading them for the spare change in the couch. But um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if he's a starting quality player because he flashed at times in Detroit. Uh, although he was a lot of Detroit Lions fan scapegoat right now. He had, his, he had an up-and-down year even when I looked into it today. It wasn't as good as I remember, but it was solid, in my opinion, which is pretty good coming off an Achilles in year two. And uh, yeah, I mean, considering he played Oruwarie right off the bench and off – right onto the bench and off the team, um, of course, Oruwarie had that infamous game where it seemed like he was called on pass interference for 17 plays in a row. But um, – yeah, what do you? It, they had some fantastic signings and in the secondary, so the writing was kind of on the wall. And then you figure a ten million dollar cap hit for Okuda, and I get it. That's what I was going to get at. Is you're getting out of ten point seven million in twenty twenty three, which you forget that a rookie contract's cheap for a quarterback when he's getting paid ten million, but not for a cornerback that's not staying on the field. And then also now you don't have to deal with choosing whether or not to exercise this fifth year, hundred percent guaranteed option for about 11.5. That's the Falcons problem. And I think it's a win-win. You guys get to move on. You get a little something, you get a little cap space. You already signed the extra, you know, three defensive backs. Um, there's a lot of good uh, defensive backs in this year's draft class that you guys might take one with one of your first two picks, whether you want to or not as a fan, that's a different story but it sets you guys up in that position. And then the Falcons get a high caliber first round pick with a year and a half to decide whether or not they think he's a reclamation project. And he could use yeah, the change. Of I do have to give the front office a lot of credit because the biggest uh, problem that people had with the front office coming into uh, the 2022 season last year is that they basically brought everybody back from a three win team. So was the Brad Holmes regime going to bring in free agents that were impactful. And oh boy, did he ever this year. We had Cam Sutton, we had 
C.J. Gardner-Johnson. We had David Montgomery. And all of them had different segments of their fan bases from where they were saying, wait a minute, we couldn't match that deal. I was going to say, Manuel Mosley was a good addition, too, along with uh, Sutton at cornerback. That's true. Manuel Mosley is coming off his injury year, right? So. It was so that's he's kind of got a, a one year prove it deal. And if it works, then the, the Lions look loaded in the secondary. Yep. The one knock is that Sutton's the only cornerback signed through next year, which is why a lot of people think that you guys are going after one of the big three cornerbacks in the first round. It could be, but we can talk about the Lions draft plans on another episode. Believe me, it, it will. Uh, the Lions are definitely going to be one of the movers and shakers in the early part of the NFL draft, I think. Let's talk about the running back carousel briefly. So the Bears, as I mentioned, we got four men and we did a little budget. As a Bears fan, I'm happy to see Herbert get a better role, even because I think he outshined David Montgomery. On the flip side, I think Montgomery is a much better version in Detroit than you're getting from Jamal Williams, who was a great third down thumper that got the ball into the end zone. But Montgomery has legitimate three down back capability. And I think he's got more juice in the tank than Jamal. Yeah. I mean, the Detroit, the Jamal Saf has been really talked to death for the people in Detroit, but, um, I really feel like Montgomery is an improvement because he's so much more versatile. Yes. He's got better speed. He's one of the great tackle breakers and he was doing the same yards per carry in Chicago with an inferior offensive line better than mm-hmm. people think of the bears line, but an inferior line to Detroit. It's even and then worse. Yeah. That Jamal was getting in Detroit. So if oh. it's, you, yeah. If he's used in a halfway similar fashion, it remains to be seen about the goal line. But I think he's going to end up with better numbers overall. And he's a good pass catcher. He's very good pass catcher, which is underrated part, you know. Now, do you think this minimalizes or marginalizes uh, DeAndre Swift? Do you think uh, Dan Campbell does not like him? Or do you think Swift is now the guy? I am not holding out a lot of hope that Swift is going to be there. Uh, he it looked like there were games last year where he was perfectly healthy and getting under 10 touches. I just don't think the team feels like they can trust him to carry a full load. It's like they're trying to keep him in bubble wrap. And I don't get that mentality um, for a football player. If you can't trust back. him to be out there, then if you can't carry the load, then you you can't commit to him with any kind of big money contract. You can't really protect a running back. You can protect a quarterback. You can't protect a running back. If he's going to get injured, he's going to get injured. But and, and boy, howdy, has he ever in the first couple seasons. But if you, got, um, if you have him in Dynasty, there are still some DeAndre Swift truthers out there that will pay full price for him. So now might be the time to ship him. Cause it doesn't sound like a, he's exactly won over the people of Detroit in his uh, short career in the NFL so far. No, you got to respect the talent. When he's on the field, he's really good. But oh boy, trade him after um, that. So it wouldn't sixty-yard game. I'm not saying that they're going Bijan, but oh. it wouldn't surprise me to see the Lions address address the running back depth at some point in the draft. I'm going to say the Lions draft 
especially the first group round, maybe first two rounds, that's going to be a lot of next week when we talk about the scenarios that might get you guys excited or get you guys terrified. Looking forward to that promo work. <laughs> but of the teams in the Midwest, though, the first draft pick, at least as of this recording, we're recording this on uh, April 11th, the first draft pick belongs to the Indianapolis Colts. So first, what was their biggest signing? Matt Gay, kicker. Beautiful. I mean, they paid him <laughs> a lot of money. And we all know as fantasy football players, we love kickers. Obviously which is why teams are running away from them. And then the other I one mean, is leagues. they signed Gardner Minshew. So if you got him, start him. I mean, they clearly don't need a quarterback at four now because they got the Florida man himself ready to take him to the promised land. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely how, how it works, right? But other than that, the best pickup I think was maybe Isaiah McKenzie, but then they let Paris Campbell walk. So I, I, I don't know if they've done anything exciting. They got rid of Stephon Gilmore for a fifth. Um, I think it's a great pickup for Cowboys, but I'm not so sure. What's your take on the Colts offseason? Um, I feel like management, which includes ownership with the Colts, because the Ursays definitely loom large in the management of the Indianapolis Colts. Mm -hmm. I feel like yeah. the quarterback has shouldered the blame the last couple of years, in some cases deservedly, because they keep trying to find them, you know, in the, you know, in the resale bin. But um, Poor Frank I Wright. really felt like at four, they thought they were going to get their quarterback, except there's such a big schmoz at the top that, you know, I'm not sure that they're going to get a guy at four that they feel is going to make everything all right, because they didn't really make a large substantive addition. That's going to change the way teams game plan them in free agency. In fact, they seem to shed talent. Uh, that's what I was going to say. They didn't do anything. Now the best thing they did was lose to Lovey Smith the last week of the season, moving their pick into top four and Houston out of the number one. Now, I thought they were going to leverage that by trading into the number one spot and getting the quarterback of the future in that division over Houston. But now they're kind of – they let Carolina take that over. So they're sitting back waiting for the third or maybe even fourth best quarterback. Yeah, which, to be fair, the I really feel like that trade was a slam dunk win for Chicago. Oh, so maybe it was simply a, taste, a case of too rich for my blood. Well, how much do you think Frank Reich – who got sick of getting torpedoed by bad quarterback play in Indianapolis goes to Carolina, which is in the exact same situation. And they said, you know what? I'm going to uh, stick it to my old team by getting up to number one ahead of them, getting their guy in Carolina. I got to, I got to believe there were a couple owners that were like, dude, I don't care what it takes. Get in a position to get our guy. Um, and for Carolina, apparently that meant number one, we'll see. Uh, there are some rumors that it's going to be uh, Young as their guy, but you know, they, I don't think they've made an official announcement, so we'll see how that turns out. I, I've heard more C.J. Stroud and Anthony Richardson, to be honest, after the trade, but Young was the number one guy before the combine, and then they looked at how, how skinny he looked compared to the other quarterbacks, and maybe that pushed him down. Not sure, but based on, you know, 
Carolina or Indianapolis is drafting the last couple of years. They like the athletic tool monsters that are combine warriors. So I would not be surprised if they're drafting uh, Anthony Richardson or hoping him or Levis falls to number four. And maybe that's why they're happily, happily sitting at four because they think Stroud and Young will go one, two. That could be. I mean, the thing you got to remember in this time of the year is this is the silly season. There's a whole lot of misinformation and innuendo out there that is honestly just noise at this point. We're too close to the draft to get authentic feeds. And we don't want to and we don't want to know who Carolina is. The NFL wants the drama of all the speculation anyways. Maybe it could be Hendon Hooker. I've heard him in top three now. <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> yes. But um Moving on from the potential disaster of that pick, I do feel like a team that had a good under-the-radar offseason is the Browns. Uh, They have absolutely no draft this year at all, so this is going to be our big Browns coverage. They went ham in free agency. For the most part, it feels like money well spent, though. What do you think? I think, I mean, you're right. They don't draft until the third round. Um, their their draft picks were basically Deshaun Watson and a half a season of shaking off the rust and him returning to form in uh, Houston. That would be a huge upgrade already. And then they threw in a couple mid-rounders to get Elijah Moore, who I really like, from the Jets. And that alone, those are two great pickups already if uh, Watson can shake off the rust. And then their big weakness was defensive line. They volume. They did similar to Chicago. They threw three guys, including Dellen Tomlinson from Minnesota, and I think they did a good job plugging their uh, plugging their holes. Actually, they got a fourth line that I I forgot about. You know, so I think they had a good offseason. It's a boring offseason. A lot of linemen and a wide receiver too to go with uh, Amari Cooper. But when you look at that, they got Cooper and uh, more for thirds, fourth, and fifth round pick. That's a really good deal. I mean, that's. You get Amon Ross St. Brown, you get like Tyreek Hill at the fifth round. You know, those are like the best guys you're getting in those spots. And maybe a Deontay Johnson, but they did a great job using those draft capital, even though they don't have much left. I would agree. They've got, you know, Amari Cooper last year was pretty much asked to carry the entire wide receiver platoon on his own because they let Jarvis Landry walk. Well, with Elijah Moore, they got basically a younger version they've got their true slot receiver again Great that's running ball. different kinds of routes from mm-hmm. amari cooper uh it remains to be seen what they think of uh uh don people's jones but he's a field stretcher um, i think he complements those two well obviously I, I, honestly as a third receiver i think he's perfect for that role but do they feel like they could get somebody else in the draft we'll see um to either maybe a catch and run guy, maybe a uh, contested catch guy, somebody that does something a little bit different and makes it a little bit more of a complete core. Uh, Watson loves those deep threats too. So maybe they add another one. Mm. They have a couple in this draft and don't forget, they do have a contested guest contested catch guy, David Njoku. He was showed some pretty good flashes at tight end. I think he's still there, right? Well, he is. Yeah, that's true. I sometimes forget about him because, um, well, just because I haven't been up in Detroit, it's harder to get Browns coverage, basically. But yeah, he is there and he is, they are definitely committed to him with a big money deal that they gave a couple years back. So yeah, they, they're starting to develop a nice core of uh, targets for Watson. And 
speaking of Watson, one of the best things they ever unknowingly did was they gave him that huge guaranteed contract. And now former MVP Lamar Jackson is super pissed off and wants out, doesn't want to play him twice a year now. So if you can get Watson to shake off the rust and you get Lamar out of the division, that might be a double win for them. To be clear, yeah, that's because Lamar Jackson is looking for more guaranteed money than Watson, which is the last thing that any team wants to give a quarterback that is generally seen as being a running type quarterback. Now, you and I both know that he balled out at Louisville and he is a better thrower than the average person gives him credit for, even though, yes, it's all built upon his amazing running ability and and no team spent less in wide receiver capital during his career than the Baltimore Ravens I guess they figure a torn ACL OBJ for 15 million will solve it but maybe I mean he's two years removed he might be fine fun fact 15 million guaranteed to uh, Odell Beckham this year is almost exactly the same guaranteed money as the entire Lions receiving core I forgot because we talked about Jameson Williams, the first round pick, but they gave up nothing to trade up for him with Minnesota. And then he's on a rookie contract and St. Brown, man, fourth round pick. He's even less. Well, you guys got Marvin Jones back. I forgot about that addition. 15 million to OBJ and about 14, eight for the entire wide receiver. Wow. All right, but let's do the 71 shuffle down to Cincinnati next. The Bengals had a real quiet free agency period, and I have to believe that Joe Burrow's upcoming extension, which will probably include most of the city of Covington, Kentucky, looms large in those decisions. First of all, Joe Burrow, uh, the true Lion King or Tiger King, sorry, make a new Netflix documentary on him with uh, both LSU and the Bengals and Bucks, but we're not there's no Tigers involved in that. their big acquisition was Orlando Brown, which was interesting that Kansas City let him walk and he got paid a lot of money, but I think that's an upgrade. I mean, they threw a lot of money at the offensive line last year and they didn't really get the results they wanted. They still had a bottom four offensive line, but you got to keep Joe Burrow up. I mean, that guy, he's, he's going to deserve all the money and the brink truck they're going to be putting in his driveway. And it'll be interesting because they didn't make any moves other than Orlando Brown. And I think that is, like you said, they got to pay Joe Burrow. Uh, they got to figure out what to do with T Higgins. His contract's coming up and Jamar Chase is going to be wanting to paid soon, soon enough. And I mean, you could be talking 50 million for Burrow per year and you could be paying Higgins and Jamar 20 million, 25 million soon enough. And that's your whole team. What would you do? Would you trade Higgins or would you pay him? I think that's the big uh, off season. It's extension. Yeah, I'm not, the world's biggest T Higgins guy. I think he's a very talented receiver. Um, What really I think killed the Bengals offense last year. I mean, obviously they were fine offensively as a unit, but the reason the fantasy numbers weren't what we thought they were going to be is because some of us expected the tempo to increase of the teams that have big time NFL passers. The Bengals are an anomaly because they're running a slowdown tempo and all the other top quarterbacks are just cranking out the plays. Obviously we know, we know why they didn't do that. It's the offensive line. They want, Mm -hmm. they love Joe Burrow and they want to see him remain alive. So uh, you do that and you're of course going to 
not get the yardage and the targets, but you're going to win the games because the passing's still going to be efficient. It's just going to be fewer plays. Speaking of fantasy football disappointment, what's your take on the Joe Mixon situation? He did okay by the end of the year, but he was pretty disappointing most of the year. He had a big breakout year when people probably started benching him. And um, I think he got into another uh, legal issue. I don't know what it is. I'm not commenting on it. And there's a lot of rumors that they might try to move on from him. Allegedly, yeah. Um, I think that the the Bengals wanted to continue to run the ball and the tempo kind of ate at him too. Go ahead. I also want to add that they already let Samarji Pirine, his backup, walk. I'm not even sure who's behind him on the depth chart, and I I deep dive this stuff for Dynasty. I'm not even sure who's there right now. I mean, maybe they're going to pick up Zeke. He's on their short list. They're on his short list, I should say. But the, I think the big story here is going to be what is Joe Burrow's contract going to look like? Because I think it's not just the Bengals that are kind of antsy and wondering about what the future is going to hold. I think there are a lot of teams that are looking, going to look and see what that contract looks like, and that's going to be the normalization. Well, like, I mean, her- is Burrow going to get a bunch of guaranteed money? And though maybe not 100% guaranteed, but enough that Lamar's going to end up getting a big chunk of what he wants. Who knows? And I think that was something they said is Lamar doesn't necessarily want more money than uh, Watson. He wants more guaranteed money than Watson. Because now it's all about the contract guarantees, like started by Kirk Cousins. And um, you're also talking Joe, Justin Herbert's going to be due for an extension soon. We'll see what happens with Tua. That was a pretty good draft class. Uh, Jalen Hurts is up for an extension, too, and that those four guys are all the same draft class. And I think that uh, if I was the NFL team with one of them, I would want to sign him earlier than later because history has shown that you sign a guy to a number one contract overall, but in two years he's not even top ten in salary cap anymore because of the way that those uh, cap numbers escalate for top-notch quarterbacks. But maybe people are more gun-shy after Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray and Deshaun Watson disappointed last year. Well, it's interesting that you should mention Kirk Cousins because I think it was the Minnesota Vikings head coach a couple days or weeks ago that sort of waxed poetic a little bit uncomfortably long on the joys of having a rookie contract quarterback. Um, Minnesota spent the offseason shedding salary. Kirk Cousins is in his contract year. They're not expected to re-sign him. Uh, There have been rumors about Dalvin Cook possibly being on the trading block. Um, But the Vikings still made a number of important additions. Talk to me about the Vikings offseason. So I love the Marcus Davenport pickup. He's probably the best edge rusher in this free agency class, but he has struggles to play more than 500 snaps in a year. So giving him a one-year prove-it deal for $13 million, I think was a steal, especially when they might be in transition, but they still want to compete. They were, what, 13 wins last year? Um, outside of that, they let Patrick Peterson walk. They replaced him with Byron Murphy, who I don't think is a good scheme fit. He's a fine cornerback, but he's, a, he's, he's more of a zone type. And I believe they just added Brian Flores, who I love, but he's more of a man-to-man type. And the move I really hated was – Oliver at tight end. They they signed a blocking tight end for 
seven million a year for three million. I don't know what the point of that is when you just traded for TJ Hawkinson. I mean, I guess the idea is you're going to put Hawkinson more as a slot receiver and run two tight ends with uh, KJ Osborne, but that right side of that offensive line was terrible. Daryl saw was great at the left side, but they needed offensive line help. They needed to grab a, an adult in the room, like a, like a Nate Davis did at right guard for Chicago. That would have been a much better use of the money than, um, than Oliver. I think it's Josh Oliver, John Oliver, you know, and I don't know. They didn't, they didn't do a lot to put themselves in better condition this year other than shed salary cap. And, I mean, what is your take on the rumors that they might be targeting Hendon Hooker in the first-round pick when they probably need a lineman or a receiver, too? Um, I feel like just about anybody that's targeting Hendon Hooker in the first round is probably making a mistake. Um, Needs to be registered. In addition, it's not just the health, either. I mean, the the passing offense in Tennessee is about as gimmicky as it comes. Um, He's a hard enough. He is – yeah, by rookie by NFL rookie standards, he's applying for his AARP card. And I mean, he absolutely has the talent that he could put be, if not the best quarterback in this class, then certainly at least an average NFL starter. And- but I feel like his target spot should be the second round, but you never know. There's so many teams desperate for quarterbacks. The Vikings don't have a second round because of the TJ Hawkinson trade. So I agree. I think fit-wise, he he needs to be at a team that can redshirt him coming off of his injury. I think sitting behind a golf or a Kirk Cousins would be good for a year where the team can compete, and if he can show, his, show off his uh, health and his ability in the offseason and the practice field, they can decide to save $40 million a year and move on. But I just don't know how Minnesota gets because they have a first. I don't think they should be drafting that high. And I don't think they're going to get him at the, in the middle of the third. And other than that, like, I don't know what, what's your take with the Dalvin cook scenario? Like I heard there was a rumor that they were allegedly going to cut him, but then he had surgery. So that guaranteed his contract. So now they're just, are they just going to ride him out? Or do you think they're still going to try to trade him? I don't know. I mean, his, you know, as a longtime Dalvin Cook fantasy owner in uh, Keeper League, you've I've seen his numbers decline last year and a little bit the year before that. Some of that might be just how bad the right side of that offensive line has gotten. Yeah, that not good at all. Um, I still feel like he's got a couple, a year or two left in the tank of legitimate NFL average or better starter play um whether they you know if there's if the vikings are smart they'll at least ride him out focus you know let him carry the load and feature him enough so that you get some team excited about trading for him at the deadline or in the early part of the year when their starter goes down and they think they're a playoff team but um to me that seems kind of elementary they they seem very happy with madison He's um, he's he's a good player and he's done really, really well in short spurts when he's been given the chance to start. Yeah. And they gave him a good contract, a reasonable seven million dollar two year deal. Pretty solid. I mean, that's basically just a two year version of what Bears gave Deontay Foreman. And I think he's a better all around running back. And I like Foreman, but, you know, he's better. And then the other guy I like that they got was uh, 
who's that fifth round rookie they picked up last year? It was um, Ty Chandler out of North Carolina. He showed really good flashes in the offseason, and he could be a good backup to Madison on the cheap. And I think that they're in good position if they move on from Dalvin Cook. I mean, the other option is just, you know, ride them out because what is the running back trade market now? Mixon, Cook, Austin Eckler, uh, all in the trade market. Zeke is waiting to be signed. Bijan Robinson is going to land somewhere. It's a good running back class. It's it's an interesting thought. I mean, I think Minnesota's probably best just riding it out. You might not get anything for him, but you had a great career. And yeah, maybe they just, you know, maybe they just treat him like a, a hammer in the tool belt that you just beat the snot out of stuff until the head of the hammer falls off the handle and then you throw the handle away and grab the next tool. Oh, like with uh, I mean, Dallas and I hate Marco to, Murray. I hate to do, no disrespect to describe any of those players that way, but you you really do feel like that's the way that some NFL front offices think of them. It's kind of how Dallas ended uh, DeMarco Murray. They just ran him into the ground and let him walk and then just moved on, you know? We've seen it. We've seen teams do it before, which is, you know, not saying I agree with it, but I don't know what else you do with Dalvin Cook. He's a really, he's a future Hall of Famer, all time great, probably fan favorite. And oh, and by the way, they were a top three seed in the NFL last year. Sure, they got upset, but they're a good team. As long as you got Justin Jefferson out there, you can move the football. And Kirk Cousins, for all of his, you know, lights, you know, Sunday night, you know, nighttime Kirk Cousins. He's a good quarterback, at least statistically speaking. You might not count on him in the clutch, but he's going to win you some games, especially throwing to, you know, Jefferson, Hawkinson. And it's it's a it's a good team with flaws. It reminds me a little bit of the Rams. Um, and if they could plug some of those holes on the line, um, the defense gets a little bit better. I think schematically, uh, Brian Flores is a great pickup. That might have been their best pickup in the offseason because that guy can coach a football team, especially a defense. Well, speaking of teams thinking of moving on from veteran quarterbacks, Green Bay is still working on the deal to try and send Aaron Rodgers out of town. And in the meantime, the Packers can't do anything with his almost $32 million cap hit per spot track. How do you see that situation going? Well, before we get into that, I want to run down the long list of acquisitions they've made while waiting for uh, Aaron Rodgers to figure come out of the darkness to various more safety. They added him. That's about it. That's all I got. They're just held hostage. They lost Alan Lazard um, to the Jets, which presumably he's just was tr- basically part of the trade, unofficially speaking. Um, the big question will be what they get from him. Can they get a first-round pick? I don't think the Jets want to give that to him. I think they want the Jets' first-round pick. And um, as a Bears fan, I don't want to see them with two mid-round firsts. They could do a lot of damage with that in a bad way. Um, my favorite scenario would be if they drafted a quarterback or a tight end or receiver to help Jordan Love in the first round after not drafting anybody other than his replacement in the first round on offense, that is. Aaron Rodgers' whole career. But let's be honest, Aaron Rodgers this offseason has put on a master class for exactly why the Jets should run and not pick him up. They, they, sh- they should just go after Lamar Jackson at this point. He's in his prime. He's shown he can win an MVP and he's not going to be 40 with a $50 million cap hit doing ayahuasca and allegedly in the, in the Andes mountains or wherever it was in the off season. 
Yeah, I, I the to me this drama between the Jets and the Packers over this trade just mystifies me. It, it's I feel like both teams think they have all the leverage, and that's why this is taken forever. And I feel like the only one that's actually got all the leverage here is Aaron Rodgers because he's got the guaranteed deal, or he could just retire if he doesn't want to play. But he's, if, if he, he doesn't, doesn't like deal, something, cut me. You know. I'll go somewhere else. Like, even if they cut him, would the Niners call? Maybe. I mean, I don't know how healthy Brock Purdy is, and we don't know what Trey Lance says. The Niners could use a veteran quarterback. Maybe they'll call Tom Brady. I don't know. We're not talking about the Niners. We're talking about Aaron Rodgers. But it is comical and not lost on me that he is following the Brett Favre footsteps of Hall of Famer with one Super Bowl and then just trashing the team and the fan base on his way out. I can't imagine Packer fans. If you, uh, I'd love to hear from Packer fans what they think. Yep, uh, you can email the show. Thing, by the way, at Midwest Football Podcast at gmail dot com. Please, with your comments and questions, we'd love to hear what you think and what you want us to talk about when it comes to your favorite team. That was Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. Midwest Football Podcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Now let's look at uh, a, another historically great team that has usually taken the opposite approach. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers for decades have been letting people walk and just drafting their replacements. But this year they went big with Patrick Peterson, two years, seven million per deal. He's a 32 year old corner. How much does he have left in the tank? He's coming off a really good year. I don't know how much he's got left, but. He he played really well last year for Minnesota, which is a, it's a weird part of this quarterback roulette where, you know, he he leaves Minnesota. Minnesota decides Byron Murphy and Cam Sutton leaves uh, Pittsburgh for Detroit. And I feel like everybody kind of won that roulette except Minnesota. And if they can use Murphy to his strengths, they'll be fine, too. Um, Pittsburgh, I think that they've done most of their stuff through the draft, as we've seen, and they can shore up that offensive line. I mean, this has been talking about this for two years now, but Pickett was really good down the stretch. If you look at his numbers last six games, he played well. Pickens looked good. Deontay Johnson had an off year without catching touchdowns, but that dude is a route-running monster. Uh, Fryermuth, I love him as an all-around tight end. And uh, Najee Harris is underrated. He uh, playing with a foot injury for the first half of the year, um, made him go under the radar. When he came back healthy from that bye week, he was a top five fantasy back down the stretch. And people forget about that because everyone who had him was already out of the playoffs. All you have to know about the Steelers is who they signed. Patrick Peterson, defense. Holcomb, linebacker, defense. Herbig, offensive lineman. Nothing exciting. They want to, they, but they are going to smash you. Yep. And uh, I'll be curious. I mean, let's not forget one of the best things they did. We can add it midseason. They got a second-round pick for uh, Chase Claypool. Technically a first since, uh, you know, you want to – not technically not a first, but the 32nd pick of the draft for Chase Claypool. And they got good value out of him. They got a, they picked him for, I think, a third-round pick. They had a 1,000-yard, 10-touchdown season as a rookie. Kind of tailed off. He got a little bit of the diva vibe. But then they still managed to flip him for more than they picked up for him in the mid-round. I mean, that's that's pretty good. 
be, and they'll probably just get like an interior like defensive tackle for him. And that guy will be underrated, really good for nine years. And uh, only Steelers fans will know who he is, but he'll be a reason why they TJ Watt gets another defensive MVP. Yeah, another Steeler special. We'll put it that way. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's it's incredible, like how the Steelers just they keep they they're patient, they're stable. It's what you can do when you're not, you know, when you have three coaches in your entire history and all of them have been to a Super Bowl. And um, let's give Tomlin credit. He pulled off the most unlikely way to keep his streak alive, going from a transitional year with Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett to win nine games last year. Like your Lions, underrated nine and eight team. Those two teams had bad records in the first half, and they were two of the hottest teams down the stretch. And do you think there's any reason to think that the Steelers can't continue to come on strong, especially in that division? Yeah, a couple years ago, just a couple years ago, we thought everybody was going to kill it in the AFC North. And a couple injuries, a couple of disappointing seasons, and a Lamar Jackson, Baltimore Ravens fight that won't seem to end. And it's an entire, once again, it looks like the Steelers are ready to just calm, cool, and collected, keep banging away at people until they end up back in the playoffs and nobody wanting to play them imagine when they actually develop this young quarterback they're like a horror villain no matter how fast you run you're going to trip and they're right behind you they have that magical teleportation <laughs> power they're just there they're always there they're always in the running if you were to break down the Bengals and the ravens and you know the the the, the, the browns talent wise you might have the steelers last and you might not be wrong and the steelers could win the division it doesn't matter. They're well coached. They they generate talent. They know how to evaluate. They get guys in the middle of the rat draft. And I'll be curious to see what mid round receiver they pick this year. There's going to be a lot of good ones, and uh, they're going to replace Chase Playful with a fourth rounder and probably be fine. You know, yeah. it's crazy. You said something a couple minutes ago that I want to come back to and highlight, and that is consistency. You've had they've had a certain what was it three coaches in the last umpteen number of years. No, and it is amazing the quality of decision making a person can do when they are not in fear for their job because everybody knows they know how to do it. You can have a down year and not get fired. There's a lot of coaches and you look back on them. They had like three or four 12 win seasons in a row, and they had one injury riddled year and they got axed. And the Steelers do not have that kind of um, knee-jerk reaction to a down season. They have an ability to get together, identify where they were weak, and just keep trucking. And I wish more organizations ran like that, to be honest. I mean, there's a lot of unintentional comedy from the ones who don't. Sorry, Cleveland, you went through like 10 coaches in eight years at one point, but uh, that's the antithesis of it. (laughs) Yeah, contrast that with the Lions. I can't remember the statistic off the top of my head but it was i read something like they had like some number in the teens of winning seasons since like the 60s and on four of them they fired their coach wow wait what (laughs) like yeah i'll never forget wasn't your best season ever in detroit the year right before barry sanders retired um, that wasn't the best season ever, no. Um, well, I mean, it was the one uh, time they won a playoff. Uh, 
yeah, they had gotten back to the playoffs. Oh, um, it wasn't the win because they had one playoff win in like sixty. Yeah, that was back in ninety one. Oh, okay, that was it. Okay. Yeah, which you know, a lot. By the way, a lot of people in Detroit have been not a lot of people, but every so often, some of the old timers are bringing up as we prep for this draft mm-hmm. because they were building that team and building that team and they had Barry and they had the line and they had a legitimate defense and they had wide receivers and they somehow ended up with a high draft pick and it became Andre Ware. It's like the Darko Milicek of football. And the Lions basically that was the death spiral for the entire build right there. So it sounds to me like this year you guys are drafting Mike Mayer in the first round and your entire fan base will revolt over another first-round tight end. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just seems like we fall in love with receivers around here in the front office, that's for sure. Oh, my goodness. I'm not even going to bring up he who must not be named that drafted a receiver every year in the top ten. Was it four years in a row before he got Megatron? Might have been three out of four. At least you got some return on uh, Mike. Was it Mike Williams when you tra- flipped him to Dallas? Yeah, I think it was. But man, who was the other guy? Charlie Rogers from Michigan State. I don't know what happened to him. He was so good in college. Uh, what happened to him is he busted his collarbone back when that was the end. I'll do it. Um, <laughs> yep. And he basically couldn't stay on the field after that. Yeah. Well, I think we should take this time to remember that as the NFL draft approaches that six years ago, the Bears traded up from number two. They traded picks that would become Alvin Kamara and Fred Warner, future All-Pros and probably Hall of Famers, so they could not draft Patrick Mahomes. So just remember that. When you Lions fans think about you only got a fifth-round pick out of Jeffrey Okuda with the third spot, it could have been worse. You could have given up three Hall of Famers and gotten Mitch Trubisky and then not even get a fifth-round pick when he walks. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, this is the uh, – you see, this is what we do here in the Midwest. We swap our horror stories, and then we try to – Look, and then we try not to listen to the annoying Steelers and Packers fans. They're like, well, you don't really know heartbreak until it's been in the conference finals. You know, <laughs> I think let's, 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 let's uh, come back around to Green Bay and give them a little more talk because they're smart to move on from Rodgers. They've had Jordan Love for three years on the bench. They know what he's got. He's looked okay in games. I wasn't a big fan of him when they drafted him, but. I could see him being just fine, and I really liked how uh, Dubs and Watson flashed. And the Packers, all of us Bears fans are just like, finally, 30 years of two Hall of Fame quarterbacks is coming to an end. Chances are Love won't be another one, but they just are a well-run organization like the Steelers. I hate to, you know, give too much love for them, but it's uh, they're my, they're my Michael Myers, you know. I can't have a nice thing. I while a lot follow a lot of the Bears after we fired Mike Ditka and Wani and Jerron went, I think it was two and twenty against the Packers in an eleven year span. That was my formative years. So I can't unsee these things. And I just feel like the Bears fan in me thinks Jordan Love is going to be a future Hall of Famer, despite my horror. Despite the yes, fact we that call, 
we call that gun shy. <laughs> my dad, my dad used to sit, call the quarterbacks that would get pounded so bad they'd feel pressure wasn't there. My dad used to call that happy feet. Yeah. You're running for, you know, you're jiggling and running from pressure that isn't there. Um, we'll see what happens with uh, love, but I did want to ask you how you feel about the rest of that Packers team. Cause we spent so much time talking about Aaron Rodgers, We didn't really talk much about them in the aggregate. Honestly, Aaron Rodgers with his new receivers, it was expected to take a step back. The real disappointment was the defense. That was supposed to be an epic defense for them. They had a good defense the two previous years when they were in the final four, and they threw a bunch of draft capital at it, and then they just fell apart and got worse. I don't know what happened. Um, Maybe someone can weigh in on that from the listeners. Well, my hypothesis was the Packers defense for so many years, they had such an explosive offense that it's a little bit like the Chiefs defense where it's totally built to play from ahead. Mm. They've got killer pass rush, good secondary options all the way up and down, but maybe you can run at it a little bit. You look at the teams, the Lions have beat them three times in a row, which I'm sure the (laughs) Packers fans don't appreciate. That's a sentence. Um, That is true. But what are the strengths of the Lions? The offensive line, and they're going to line up and smash you which is exactly what a play from ahead team like the Packers is designed to not be able to take. Uh, That might have something to do with it. If the Packers address defense in the draft, don't be surprised if they bring in a run stuffing defensive tackle or an inside linebacker that can hammer and blitz um, because that they can put in some of those obvious running downs where I think they, I don't have the analytics to back it up. This is just my observation. But I think that's where they struggled most of all. They certainly made plenty of stops this year. Well, I hope you are right, especially because this year's draft class is pretty weak on the defensive interior and the linebackers. So um, as a Bears fan in me, uh, that's good news. The, the Bears homerism in me thinks that the Packers will find a way regardless and still beat us twice a year. But I like to think that Justin Fields will flip it with Aaron Rodgers heading to New York, maybe. Who knows? Yeah. A lot of that will come down to the draft, which actually is the subject for our next episode of the Midwest Football Podcast. Actually, probably the next two, if we can get two episodes done before the draft starts on the last weekend of April. Sadly, though, that makes this the end of episode one of the Midwest Football Podcast. I want to thank everybody who took the time to listen to us. If you like the show, please let us know. Send an email to MidwestFootballPodcast at gmail.com and let us know uh, what, if anything, you want us to talk about in particular as we talk about the draft and the rest of the offseason is the season coming up. Uh, It's your show as much as ours, so thank you for being a part of it from the beginning. Sadly, though, it is time for us to uh, enter the fifth quarter, and we're as we take it into the locker room, thank you once again, and we'll see you for game time next week. Till then, take care. <laughs>